Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountain, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. Lose? She doesn't lose. She wins. Whitney Nelson. (laughs) Hello. And he is also known as the Earl of Preston, Evan Wells. Ooh, that's me. Today, we are talking about Brotherhood of Justice, a made-for-TV movie from the year of 1986. This is Keanu's third film credit this year alone, and surprisingly, we still have one more in 1986. Whew, he worked hard for, for a little bit there. If you think about where he was in the beginning of 1986 uh-huh. to now being first billed in this movie, oh, yeah. quite a quite a come up there. Yeah, he had a good year. I was excited to see the text starring Keanu Reeves on the screen. It just made me feel good. Absolutely. It's, it warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> yes. So I have the synopsis here from Wikipedia, and I'd just like to read that for the two of you and for everyone listening. So the eponymous Brotherhood of Justice begins as a well-intentioned attempt by students to stamp out violence and drugs in their school, but this solution gradually becomes worse than the original problem. As the Brotherhood's targets expand to include all who irritate them for any reason, (laughs) its methods escalate to arson and attempted murder. Mm. Its original leader, Derek, seeing what the group has become, turns against his comrades. Mm -hmm. The craziest thing also from this Wikipedia is that this is based on Actual events that happens. Yep. <laughs> the Legion, the Legion of, Doom. of Doom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From uh, Fort Worth, Texas High School, <laughs> which is just like kind of astounding to me. And believe it or not, I did a little tiny bit of research, but uh, this is actually the like sugar coated Hollywood version of the Legion of Doom before they learned their lesson. Uh, things got a little bit more serious than the televised version. How much so. more oh. serious? Yeah. Animal mutilation and killing. What? And then some and then some KKK stuff. Jeez. Yep. That's terrible. That's a high school kids? Yep, high school kids. Everything else is pretty accurate. Yeah. But wow. they, they left out some of the more serious aspects of how far it went before everything went down. Hmm. Yeah. This is, yeah, things get out of hand pretty quickly here, uh, just in like a matter of what would be maybe a day, they kind of jump up to larger scale crimes, so. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie was directed by Charles Braverman, who nowadays is mostly a documentary filmmaker. He's basically on par with the other directors we've seen so far. He's had some success in television. He's directed both Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place. And a few episodes of Baywatch. Oh, actually, only one episode of Baywatch. So I guess you probably only want to direct one episode of Baywatch. Yeah. Some of the movie (laughs) co-stars, pretty recognizable names. We have Kiefer Sutherland, Lori Loughlin, Billy Zane, and uh, Gary Riley, who is in Stand By Me with Kiefer. I didn't get to look, but is this one of Kiefer's first as well? So Stand By Me also came out this year. And I believe he was in maybe... I don't have that information in front of me, but I'd have to assume that maybe he was in one or two other things. He's kind of right on that same trajectory as Keanu at this point, I think. Right. So, yeah. I do just want to point out real quick that the tagline isn't everywhere online, but it is on the like VHS cover of this when it was distributed at one point. Uh, the tagline for this movie is, in this town, if you deal or steal, you die. That's a <laughs> promise from the Brotherhood. <laughs> yes. That's the tagline for this movie. 
How delightful. Yeah. That's great. That comes up once, I believe, uh, throughout mm-hmm. the film as a, as a line. So that's good. So this movie came out in a time where TV movies, which this was, right to television, that was kind of like just it was considered not good enough for a theatrical release. So just release it on television and let it go. And for that reason, it actually wasn't on the list when I initially put it together. But after I saw this cast and kind of got an idea what this movie was about and that it's inspired by true things, I added it. So, Whitney, you're the person who is kind of most in tune with the critical reception here. Uh-huh. Do you want to talk through what we have here in terms of Rotten Tomatoes and um, any reviews you yeah. might have? No, I mean, the... Uh... There is not a uh, really a critical reception at all as far as actual critics go, but the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 39%. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. What was, I don't remember now, what was the Rotten Tomatoes score for flying? Because I think it was better than this, uh, which is crazy vamp. to me. And uh, yeah, check on. that out. Oh, I, thought, I thought it was le- audience or, cri- or there was no critic, There was right? no critical in the history 56 percent for yeah, flying yeah Whoa. yeah uh, that's what Whoa. i thought it's significantly worse audience score for brotherhood of justice than it was for the last movie unbelievable wow. yeah unbelievable i pulled a quote here just on rotten tomatoes i think it was pretty great yuppie death wish of rich teenagers who decide to band together after their high school is vandalized <laughs> so yeah I felt that pretty much summarized the movie. I read that quote before I even watched it, and, and I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that feels about right. That feels about right. Yeah, this is a, a very interesting movie that I feel like takes on a very different tone watching it these days. So, Whitney, while we have you, let's just get right into this. Overall, did this movie work for you? Uh, well, it worked best for me out of all the movies we've seen so far. So, you know, yes. take that. Take that for what it's worth. It's still a bad made-for-TV movie, but it's worked better than anything else we've watched yet. Was there anything in terms of like... So this is the first movie we've seen where Keanu is front and center. Like He's one of the first characters we see. He's got many lines, lots of acting. What are we thinking? Yes, he is pivotal in in how the story pans out. I also think that it was interesting that this is a very different character than we've seen him play so far. Mm -hmm. um, Because he was like rebellious angsty teen and then he was two seconds in the hockey one and then you know he was like ducky-esque in in the last one so i think that that this is uh the sort of born with a silver spoon in your mouth sort of yuppie preppy kid from california it was a very different tact than we've seen him take in previous roles. Uh, that was interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think that the it's not a fun movie to watch because all of these guys are a bunch of rich white dudes hassling, you know, Mexican yeah. people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I it's not a great movie, but I do think that it was I was more invested in this and I paid more attention to it than I have for, you know, any of the other ones where I felt <laughs> like I, there were places where I dropped out and dropped back in and stuff. This one, I, I, like, was engaged the whole time. Uh, I definitely don't think it's 39% score on Rotten Tomatoes, but... Are yeah. you going lower than 39? No, I think, yeah. it would, I think it would be higher than, 40, than 39 for me. Um, Interesting. Okay. All right. Higher than flying. Yeah, higher than flying. Wow. Flying, okay. was, flying was fun for me because it was so 80s and it was so weird sometimes <laughs> that it was fun to watch because it was so weird. But... Um, yeah, I think it was 
I mean, it certainly wasn't great. I wouldn't put it much higher than 39, but I think I would probably put it around 45. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Ev, did this movie work for you? What are you thinking? Yeah, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I think uh, I going into it, I was like, oh, man, I got to endure another one of these. But uh, I found it. I found it to be something, and I've kind of said this before, but something that I could follow. And that at its at its foundation, that's what I want out of a movie, right? Something that you want to see the end of. <laughs> um, so the uh, I, I think, yeah, I think it deserves a little more than 39 for sure. I think I'm closer to like uh, 57. 57? Uh, yeah. Very... Yeah, just one yeah. percent more than Dream to Believe. Flying, <laughs> yes, yeah, just it's just barely better <laughs> than than the movie with two titles, three titles. Um, oh man! But yeah, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. I, I thought again, it's, I think these first couple movies are going to just be fine. That's really kind of the approach mm-hmm. that I'm taking to this. I yeah. am, I I lean towards. Stories about vigilante justice, uh, not in any other way, just like as a sub genre of film. Mm-hmm. I, I just like that. It's like right up there with heists for me. And we get into a Keanu heist a little mm. bit later, so it's really great. Mm. But this one, it felt a little uneven uh, in the way that most of these kinds of 80s films tended to be. But I did enjoy it. I was watching and I was engaged the whole time. I thought some of it was. Uh, really good. I enjoyed the cinematography. There was a lot of really cool moving camera shots in this. Yeah, especially just... for a made-for-TV movie. I, I noticed that too. I was like, someone, someone put some artistic effort into this. Yeah, it's your typical, at least what we had seen prior to this, with the exception of maybe a few shots in Youngblood, there's a lot of camera movement here. It's not just locked-off shots. And I, I really like that. I thought some of the music was uh, of the era, and yeah, I, I kind of liked sure. it. I was, you know, bobbing my head along with it. Mm-hmm. I thought the music to build the tension was very odd. It was a very odd choice. It sounded a little bit like um, crickets. crickets. Yeah, yeah. So there's, oh, there's man. Th- the music is one thing, but then they laid like a, it was like they wanted to do a sort of a heartbeat thing. But have yeah, it yep. have it sound different than a heartbeat, but that was like the pacing that they were trying to do or something where it would like speed up or slow down or like be your cue for how to feel emotionally <laughs> at any given time. But right. it sounded yeah. like crickets chirping or like maybe someone's phone going off a little bit or something like that. It was very distracting for me as well. It was. Yeah, they had the it's like a really strange electric guitar. Evan, you're a, like a percussion person. Do you have any thoughts about like what what was going on there during those? It felt like a kind of an odd time signature. I could be wrong. It could have just been four, but all this weird stuff happening around it. Yeah, yeah. I think they were doing a lot of syncopations, and it's to to Whitney's point. It's to make it's to make you feel uneasy, right? It's the same as like using uh, a minor or uh, a minor chord or even like dissonance in music. It's all supposed to bring out a certain emotion, and they were doing a lot of that, but. Obviously, a lot of synth, a lot of like synthesized strings to get that eerie feeling. And there was only one or two times where it was way bad. But in in other times, it was the cricket thing was weird. But if you if they hadn't had that sound in there, I feel like you wouldn't have noticed it as much. I wouldn't have noticed it at all if it weren't for the cricket. The crickets made the sound 
more noticeable, which pulled in the rest of the music to, right. to like, mm -hmm. me paying attention to it. I would never once have noticed the music, even with the, the sort of, like, syncopation and the stuff to make it seem creepier. I think it would have just been atmospheric if it weren't for the fact that the crickets kept saying, notice me, notice me, notice me, listen to the sound. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it was reused so many times. Like, if, if they would have done it once, it would have been fine, but it was every scene I literally where it got think eerie. they did, like, a, a pass once the movie was edited and the, all of the orchestration was in, and <laughs> They just had like a guy with his finger on a cricket button to like lead up to the pivotal moments and then like cut it off. And yeah, they're like s sitting around having they're like smoking cigarettes around the table at the at the edit, and they're like, "There's something missing. What can we add in here to really get that emotion through?" And some guy drinking too much whiskey in the back corner was like, "Crickets!" Right. <laughs> it's late at night. The windows open. You hear it outside. He's like, "You gotta add some crickets. That's the trick." Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very unnerving. We solved it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So yeah, I I enjoyed it overall. I thought it was watchable. Mm -hmm. It was almost enjoyable. So, and it was interesting once again to see all of these actors much younger than we're yep. used at least yeah. I'm used to seeing them. And for Kiefer specifically, kind of playing against the type that he has established later in his career, which is this like unstoppable badass kind of character. When I think right. of Kiefer, I think of like 24, not of this course. kind of reserved kind of nerdy pizza shop guy. So that was pretty cool to see. Yeah. And this is, uh, according to INDB, this is his sixth build movie. Okay. Um, so pretty early days for him as well. I also thought it was interesting because in so many movies, like the kid from the wrong side of the tracks is like a badass and like has a chip on his shoulder and is, you know, just struggling against the world because he has no money and no whatever. And it would be so easy in a movie that's all about like rich white guy privilege to make that Kiefer Sutherland character be way more like angry. Yeah, yeah. And he wasn't. He was a really nice guy. Yep. I just found it very interesting that he. it was very much against that sort of trope of, like, potential guy stealing your girlfriend from the wrong side of the tracks who doesn't have any money and, like, looking down on him. Right. He's usually, like, a real badass with a motorcycle and hates the world and whatever. And, right. And Kiefer Sutherland was, like, a real nice guy. Yeah, it was great. There were there were certainly a lot of tropes in this film, but that was not one that of them. That was not one of them. <laughs> so that was refreshing, to say yeah. the least. Yep. Do we have any other overall thoughts before we get right into the kind of play-by-play -play here? Let's dive in. No, let's go for it. Okay, here we go. So we start off vandalizing what we find out to be a school. And this mm -hmm. is crazy. I, I clocked in. I, I, I was curious. 1986, what was the price of a VCR? Because one gets smashed mm -hmm. to shit in this. Would have cost 400 bucks for that one VCR loan, which mm -hmm. is crazy. It's a lot. Yeah, this may be more telling about me than the vandals in the movie, but like smashing things, sure, knocking things over, sure, spray paint, obviously, it never would have occurred to me to take files out of a filing cabinet or to stab the air out of all of the sports balls. Yeah, real yeah, what rude. The, what are they going to play with? Both of those things would never have occurred to me. Like yeah. going in and causing damage and and general like ruckus and whatever, but like. The sports balls in the filing cabinet w were so weird to me because he, like, jimmied them open just to sort of, like, toss things out of it. So weird. Yeah, just causing chaos. Yeah. I had a terrible flashback 
to the beginning of One Step Away, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. It's it's happening all over At again. At least you could see the vandalization that these guys were doing, and One Step <laughs> yeah. Away, when he's breaking and entering, it's literally a pitch black screen, and you just hear him, like, stubbing his toe. Right. But but also, I don't I don't know where they got the spray paint that they're using in the scene, but it is the worst spray it's paint I've ever garbage, seen. garbage, isn't it? Yeah, it's so bad. It like they had to hold it maybe a half inch away from what they were spraying to get any color on it, and then they show him like doing a green circle on a piece of paper. Yeah, that like, they just rip off the yeah, wall in the next. Well, I'm scene. sure. I'm sure because they were trying to show it on the lockers and it wasn't showing up, so they had to do right. it on a white piece of paper just to show that it was spray paint. Um, I I'm sure that it was because this. So this was something interesting. Uh, this is a real high school. Oh, really? Like, it's not a set that they built or whatever. This is a real high school. First of all, how gorgeous is that high school? How jealous of you are of all of those children that go to that high school? <laughs> the first thing I thought the was The view like, is incredible. What is it? It's it looks got like, like a, a tree open house. courtyard in the middle. Yeah, it's like on yeah. like a cliff overlooking ocean. It's nuts. Anyway, it's a real high school. So I'm assuming that whatever they were using for spray paint was like some sort of chalk or chalk, something. Yeah. And that's why it was so, so terrible. And yeah. what I found so amazing is that they to make up for the fact that this spray paint was clearly terrible spray paint, was they added in about 50 times too much ball shaking in the can noise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the totally. Foley guy just went ham on it to be like, no, guys, freely, I promise this is spray paint. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was like they were constantly, constantly shaking it to mix it the whole time that they were spraying it because it was oh, just man. rattling around so hard. A lot of That's overcompensation. Funny. Yep. A lot of it. That's funny. Yep. So we see this vandalization happen, and then we cut to our opening credits. Keanu, top build, and then we get a, you know, a day in the life of what it's like in this California town. So Santa Lucia, Santa Lucia, whatever mm -hmm. we're whatever we're in. Yep. We get uh, a scene of Derek's friends pulling up to his house, and we see what his life is like. Pretty good older brother. Clearly very affluent, very well off. Mm -hmm, clearly. We get out onto the balcony. They're served breakfast mm -hmm. by Rosa? Yep. yep. No, Talking Maria. Was it Maria? Yeah. Oh, I think it was Maria. I'm wrong. It's Maria. <laughs> <laughs> she. So we get our first, our first little glimpse of, of what these people are kind of like. The little brother talks about a crime that happened where a bunch of car radios were stolen and attributes mm -hmm. it to ethnic minorities. Mm -hmm. oh, and, yeah. Maria and then Maria totally... is like, what, Willie? White boys don't steal? <laughs> Ooh, oh, snap. You tell him, Maria. You put those rich white boys in their place. He tucks his tail between his legs and shuts the hell up. They looked appropriately abashed. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was When great. she does that. And I just loved that. That was, I think... So there's, we will get to this, but there's a couple of uh, clapbacks from other women in the movie. Oh, and I, sad. that is the best part of this movie, is <laughs> Maria saying, like, white boys don't steal. And later, Christine and her stuff. But anyway, there's a couple of people who are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> also, the cop with the Chicanos in the back of the car. Yes. That too. There people, like, call people out on stuff that is incredible to me that doesn't even get called out today. So Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, when the housekeeper was like, "Oh, get off your high horse." It was could have been anybody. It was great. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was it was delightful and I was like, "Okay, this is off to a pretty good start so far as long as we keep as long as we keep this kind of momentum going." Mhm. Mm 
So then they're on their way to school. Yes, and movie car moment. Yeah, I need you to tell me what this car is. I could not discern a make or a oh, model. Oh, it, it was it's a great car. It's super rare. Yes, it's, it is super rare. It really is really weird looking. Mercury Capri. Um it was actually an ASC McLaren though. So this was 1986 Mercury Capri, which was basically a rebadged Mustang, um, like a European version of the Mustang. So Ford, which is basically Mercury, brought it back over to the US. And they teamed up with ASC and McLaren to kind of like make it cool. Um, but that one is actually a 5.0 Roadster. So they're for for a keen eye, they're really kind of forcing that this guy was well off. Yeah. Um, because it's just an ultra rare car. I mean, they're not worth much of anything today. But that car in the movie, I think they made about 500 of them. So definitely rare and definitely a pretty rad car. Yeah, yeah that was kind of their way to set him apart from everybody else. Like you see all the other cars. It's a mm-hmm. very clear wealth disparity by a lot. So yeah. that was interesting to me. Even Victor or, Ke- or uh, Kiefer's car. Yeah, Kiefer's car. car is even better. Kiefer's car, the, the 1950 awesome. Mercury Coupe is yes, uh, a... It's got the white walls. It's amazing. Gorgeous yeah. car. And they do not explain... Other than, like, they don't go into it at all why he has this car. You just assume that, like, his family has a shop and he built it himself out of spare parts <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting to me that Kiefer Sutherland and Keanu Reeves have these two cars that are, like, really... They're a presence on the screen. That car yeah. drives up and you're like, holy shit, that car for both of them. Yeah. Yep. Um, I thought that was Definitely. really interesting and, and was a... Clearly someone, a director or producer, was a car guy and was like, let's show the characterization of these people in the cars that they drive. Because no other made-for-TV movie and most other movies don't put that much thought into it. Yeah, there's there's nice cars dotted throughout this whole film kind of subtly, but they catch your attention. Mm -hmm. It was an interesting time for automobiles back then. There were some that were really, really nice, maybe that were kind of holdovers from maybe a decade before, and then there were some that are just... Garbage. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get an idea of what the high school is like. We see some establishing shots of it. Like Whitney said, it's amazing. Like I'm blown away that that's an actual school, and super, <laughs> super jealous about it. <laughs> we meet right. Christy, who is Derek's girlfriend, just briefly. There, we see uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character, Victor. Again, he is kind of nerdy, a little reserved. He just kind of he's like, hey, as he walks by to Christy and. You know, there's a little bit of tension there. Then we get a student council meeting where everyone is airing their grievances about the damage that they're seeing here. This was one of the most ordered high school meetings I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) This whole meeting was buck wild. There's so much about it that that was just so funny to me. First of all, I mean, I'm jumping the gun here. We can talk more about what happens in this scene. But... When he says there will never be a return to law and order until spray paint is abolished from this school. Yes. What is that? I couldn't I couldn't get over I had to pause because I had to, <laughs> to absorb what he had said. It sounded like a quote from something classical. Yeah. I did some Googling and could not find what that was a quote from. So if, if it was actually like pulled from something, it's not close enough to be able for Google to be able to like pair it up. And everyone <laughs> laughed like it was a joke. And that, I right. think, is part of what broke my brain is, like, I would have just assumed it was, like, a, a quote from some court drama movie from the 30s or something like that until everyone laughed in a way, like, it was funny. And that's not a funny, it's not a joke. I don't get it. 
Derek chiming in with the everyone's getting ripped off and soon they're going to have to carry their lunches around in safety deposit boxes. Like, Another great that's joke. A, that's, that's a, but that is a joke at least. Whereas yeah, yeah, right. there will never be a return to law and order until spray paint is abolished from this school. Don't know what yeah. that's from. If it's from anything at all. We'll we'll address that on housekeeping. We'll figure that out by the next by the next <laughs> recording that we do here. Yeah. It's our mission now. Now also that guy looks like he's thirty years old. That is a yes, terrible casting does. choice. I know that Absolutely. The, I think Keanu's about right age wise in real life to play a high school student. Whoever mm-hmm. that guy was who made that terrible joke, the whole time I'm like, Why are they hanging out with this thirty year old dude? Mm-hmm. He does not fit here. So Whitney, what was the dreamy factor for Keanu in this film? Oh, dreamy factor. Uh yeah, no, I mean um, less dreamy than in flying. Really? Yeah. I would have thought you would have said otherwise. No, less dreamy than in flying. Definitely more dreamy than young blood. Hmm. Interesting. Got it. Okay. I mean, he had that really, really great white sweater a little bit well, later he, on in the he movie. Really, he so really good. did wear that sweater a lot. Uh, <laughs> With a blazer was, over it. He was really in that sweater. Um, yeah. He was I in think it. Th- I think that might be why I find him less dreamy in this one. I Ooh. don't think that he's attractive. I think maybe because he's so rich and preppy and I'm just like, oh, go fuck yourself. Stop wearing a sport <laughs> coat in high school, you douche nozzle. <laughs> wow. Really changed your Savage. changed your tune there on Keanu. Right. He started off wow. as a little dreamy and now it's like, no, fuck this guy. <laughs> Hate his guts. <laughs> he's the worst. Yeah. I mean, he still has pretty eyes, but, you know, like also he's wearing right. a sport coat in his high school. I definitely didn't do that. So it's, it's fine. You sure Right. Yeah. It sounds. There's, I mean, that denial sounds like you did do that. There's like, there's no, there's a small chance, but we don't really know. You know, um, luckily we can't do visuals let's go to the on Facebook this. photos. Give me one second here. <laughs> we do have a website though, so <laughs> so <laughs> we get to this meeting between who I assume is the chief of police and the principal of the school, whose name is actually Grudemat. Mm-hmm. Grudem- Grudemat. And they just, it sounds like they just call him Groot for, and for the purposes of this podcast, I think we'll probably just Mm -hmm. call him Groot. So what are we thinking about this guy? Because the the chief of police is talking to him and he's throwing a little foam basketball into like the the shabbiest net I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) He's not even, he's not even paying attention to the chief of police. Well, he has probably quite a bit of sway because clearly this is an affluent community. So he's yeah. probably, I don't think they went hard enough into explaining that, like, he can kind of do what he wants because he's the principal guarding all of these, you know, very affluent people's children. Yep. And also, clearly, the principal makes the point several times that all of these people are also the best and brightest and that kind of stuff. So he just seems to think that he has a lot of power. He reminded me a lot of, did either of you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah, Briefly. I've seen yeah. Principal Snyder tries to get the whole high school sucked into a hellmouth, and I got very similar vibes <laughs> off of this principal. So that's that's how I felt about him. So all all I could think of was NCIS, since you know he's one of the leads in that TV show. My wife loves that TV show. Never seen an episode, but I believe you. Yeah, he's like one of the lead guys, and I just thought the casting was good for him. I thought that he. He made a good principal, but they there's definitely this this vibe that it's either he's just really prideful of his students and and wants to suggest that they would never do this, or they just like he just doesn't get along with the police. He he looks down on them and he's like, I don't want you here. This is an interesting thing, and I think part of it 
plays out from the fact that this is based on a true story. There's no villain of the piece because everyone's a little bit the villain of the piece. There's no real, like, good guys and bad guys. Right. And I think that they maybe over-exaggerated his villainy to make a villain. Okay. That's a good call. Yeah, that's definitely what I got. Like, a, he just did not seem interested in improving the situation in any meaningful way to me no. at least yeah no. he wasn't interested in improving the situation and he honestly i mean like i i think they could have gone with this more there's so much politics involved in a school district it's you know government is involved so much of it runs off of like alumni money and that kind of stuff to right. get equipment and whatever and and clearly being in a politically connected and affluent neighborhood i'm assuming that this principal is feeling slighted that anyone has to tell him what to do or how to do it because he's used to kind of running however he wants to run that satisfies the parents and people involved in this school and i think that that's the subtext of his lines but i don't think they ever explicitly say it so it doesn't really track like it should yeah mm. absolutely that's a good read on that I like it. I like it. Let's go with that for the rest of it then, because Great. It's it, makes, in. it makes the most sense. <laughs> well, and that's why he wouldn't want like cops in the school with the kids every day, because that makes him look bad to all of the parents and the whatever. He's trying to keep the police out of it and not do anything about it because he doesn't want to look bad to investors or donors or parents. Yeah. Okay. I like yeah. it. I'm into it. I'm into it. So from there... After the principal kind of just blows this guy off, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. We cut yep. to Christy working at the gas station here. Yeah. And Evan has a has a favorite line that she kind of whips out of nowhere. This is to Whitney's earlier point, you know, the just clap back. It's amazing. Go ahead. So, what's a pretty girl like you doing working in a crummy joint like this? Suckering guys like you into paying 15 cents more a gallon at a full service pump. Boof! Wow. <laughs> Got you good. That guy kind of just looked a little stunned. It was really a cool moment. Suck it, old dude. But they're they're starting to inject a little bit of the disconnect between her and Derek, right? That yeah. she's like a hard worker, blue collar, and she likes that work. She's prideful about that work. And she understands that she's surrounded by affluence. So... That is cool that they're starting to do that very slowly. And I, I think they, they introduce her at the school, but you don't really get to know her at all right. from the dialogue. Exactly. That's the first sort of real introduction to this character and who she is. And I think they just nailed it on the head immediately. You, you Within seconds, you were like, I totally get everything about who she is. And you're like her. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I was like, she's got a great head on her shoulders. You know, the first, yep. yeah, like you said, the first scene, I think they might have just talked about like a date that they're going to have or something. I'm like, okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. Now you're like, oh. Great. She's awesome. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So after that, the whole gang of friends rolls up to the gas station, and they are just racist as hell to some Mexicans that are in the back of a squad car. We don't know if these people actually did anything wrong yet. There are two of them there. Mm -hmm. but uh, and, the, and the cop gets out of the car to go talk on a payphone, and they just sort of, all these high schoolers sort of swarm the car yeah. and start taunting, and the cop's like... Get the fuck out of here. And they don't. Multiple times. It's like, why aren't you listening? And it's like, you got to listen to the cop, dudes. This is a yeah, white anyway. people thing. Definitely. The, yeah. Yes, for sure. They are blaming them for, was it the school or for the radios that were stolen? For the radios, the radios that were stolen. Yeah. Yeah, the 13 car radios that were taken during like a 
I don't concert or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So one of Mule, one of the affluent teenagers, leans in and yells about how if he catches him doing something wrong, he's going to rent a helicopter. <laughs> Great line. Drop them from it like a sack of sewage. Yep. Right. At 3,000 feet. And the cop is like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? <laughs> yeah. And then he says, leave the Chicanos alone. Right. Basically. You, they didn't do anything wrong. And the guys are like, whatever. Yeah, they're in the back of a squad car as they're walking yeah. away. Mm-hmm. There was a really weird effect. Like when Mule leaned in, like you're, the camera is on the two guys in mm-hmm. the back of the squad car. And the mm-hmm. reflection, like quote reflection yeah. that's happening is so prominent in the lower yeah. right corner that it was like whoa what what did they do to yep. make this yeah some sort yeah, of they, composite it, or something it took, it took some took some work to get that happening so <laughs> with that previous christy putting that guy in his place for being like a 45 year old businessman hitting on a teenager in a gas station um with that and then with this little scenario that happened they immediately established that this movie isn't really about vigilantism but is about class warfare. Yes. Yep. And privilege. And I thought that was super interesting and and a and a way to 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 do it that really like immediately told you what the story was actually about. Definitely. Uh, the cop should have been more of a cop. He was a real pushover to those. Yeah. Teenagers ha- hassling prisoners in the back of a cop car. So yeah, the friends eventually roll, and we see Derek uh, wooing Christy as he takes off. So he's he's offering to take her out to dinner. She's like, I'm done at 8. He's like, I'll be here at 8.01 to pick you up. She says she's got to clean herself up. Very blue-collar situation going on. Mm-hmm. And Whitney, he unleashes what you believe is a... Where does it fall on the compliment scale? Well, I mean, it's a fine compliment. The thing that is so interesting about it to me is her reaction. So when he yells... Something about Lori Laughlin being the light of his life. Either those, I believe that either those lines were ad-libbed and she didn't know they were coming. Or her and Keanu were actually actively into each other while filming. Because her reaction is so genuine, almost too genuine to be, like, I'm not saying that Lori Laughlin's not a good actress. But, like, just the way that it the, the exchange happened. And they actually have good chemistry throughout the movie. Like, it's a very believable relationship. But I think either he ad-libbed that or she genuinely is into him because of her reaction and Mm. just how the whole thing went down. So you can play the clip. I'll see you later. Okay. You are the light of my life and I can't live without you. You know that. You doll, you. (laughs) That's it. It's just a small moment, but it says a lot. Mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. Pretty authentic. It was very genuine. Yeah, it felt felt very authentic. So I just thought it was interesting because I don't know the situation at all, but something was happening there. Yep. So from here, we go to... Delmonico's, which is a recurring location throughout the rest of the film. They mm-hmm. call it the Italian place, but it looks like it's just pizza to me. I don't know yeah. if that's true. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks like a pizza joint. Sure. Also, P.S., their pizza order is my pizza order. Nice. What is it? Pepperoni, mushroom, and extra cheese. Amazing. That's wow. it. That does sound really good, actually. Yeah, it's All a right. good pizza. All right. Hmm. So here we learn a little bit more about Christy being a hard worker. She puts in like three days a week yeah. at the gas station, but yeah. she just got a job here also. Second job. Yeah, and uh, Derek's a little selfish about her time, really, which is kind of a, you know, you're like, eh, it feels a little bit it feels a little bit douchey, right? Yeah, no, I mean, he definitely does not understand the demands of being a real person uh, who has to work <laughs> for anything. But I think that something that they do very well in this is she tells him that. 
Yeah. In in a lot of other movies or something, she would just like have a grudge against it, but she was like, "Hey, some of us don't get everything handed to us, so you're yeah. going to have to share me with two other jobs. Sorry." Yeah, that's right. We learn his dad owns a car dealership, so that might be that might explain the fancy car. Definitely. Uh, and then they have a big old house up on Bluffside Drive, so you you get the sense that they are not just uh, above people in a metaphorical sense, but quite literally above people as well. Yep. <laughs> and then we find out that Victor, Kiefer Sutherland's character, also works at this pizza shop. Uh-oh. So we already get a little bit of sense of what might be going on here. Yep. <laughs> a little bit of jealousy creeping in. Right. <laughs> so that happens. We We cut back to daytime next day, I assume. We get a quick look at a drug deal that's happening. Guy is selling a dime bag for 20 bucks. Two right. such young kids. <laughs> and they like say. Like eight-year-olds. Yeah. And they say, I bet it's dusted. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're giving them angel dust. Or... Well, right. so that's, that's the thing is I forgot how prevalent PCP was at this time. Yeah. It's terrible. Because it was a thing. I, I I remember growing up hearing all these stories about PCP and then like I hit teenage and there was no PCP at all. Like that was never a thing that I was ever confronted with. Right. But for a while there, every all it was like in every high school and it was really, you know, fucking shit up. I don't know where all the PCP went, but I haven't thought about <laughs> PCP in 20 years. Yeah. Or more. I don't know because... where all the PCP went. <laughs> oh my God. But, like, they talk about it so much, and I was, like, looking it up because I was like, wait, when they talk about dust, are they talking about what I think they're talking about? And the answer is yes. Yeah, and as someone who who has never bought it, $20 <laughs> felt like a lot back then. Yeah. Yes. In 86, $20 is a lot of money. Right. <laughs> well, we're in an affluent community. For so a dime bag of pot with angel dust in it. <laughs> right. That there are clearly like anticipating right they're like yeah they're not saying like no i don't I think want this it might it's be laced. dusted they're like oh it might be dusted that's <laughs> oh, terrible so weird yeah. so weird yeah so we cut to general assembly with the principal here and i think this is just the senior class yes he gives what i consider to be a pretty ominous kind of speech where they should just kind of take matters into their own hand. I'm going to I'm going to play just the tail end of it here. So I think before before we get into it, I think the reason that this speech felt so weird, my guess is this is a translation of real life events to having to tell them narratively in a story. Hmm. I think that getting the kids to decide to be vigilantes, they were like, how do we get them from like as a instigating event? And so they like they were like, well, how can we make this a? I'm not telling you to do this, but I'm telling you to do this thing. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that they were just like, we need one thing that takes 45 seconds in story time to tell <laughs> that gets them to to cross over into doing this thing. Right. It did not. It was not much. But I think they. It was very clunky the way that they did it. It did not play well for me. Yeah, here is the very end of the speech here, to which he gets a standing ovation. Standing ovation. The wolves are at our front door, friends. We can run or we can fight. It's up to you. So weird to me. I was hyped. <laughs> you were like, I can't wait to bash some skulls. I was, I was ready to fight. Let's put a list together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's basically 
trying to get students to police themselves so that the actual police don't have to come in and have a camp- campus presence. And it works because the student council is like, hell yeah, man. Let's yeah. go beat up some people. I Junior mean, police force, go! One, <laughs> one of his recommendations that he's trying to get them to say no to is, should we hire security guards to patrol the school? And it's like, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. do, do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, undercover cops. There are a couple good suggestions. Should like, should we put all locks on all the doors? Yes. Yes, yes you please. should. <laughs> Thank Why you. aren't there locks on the doors? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that I'll note here, and they set this up, is we're getting this like, yeah, let's do this junior police force thing. We're going to be the equalizers. At the end of this student council conversation, the camera locks on to Les, played by Billy Zane, and he just kind of looks out into the middle distance and he's got like a very like (laughs) introspective Mm -hmm. look on his face and Mm -hmm. you're like okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) so here here are five words that i never thought that i would ever say and they are billy zane can get it (laughs) 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 uh yeah never something that i have thought before or will ever think again but uh i i had a very teenage girl crush on billy zane in this movie Nice. He's okay. he's way dreamier than Keanu in this movie. Interesting. Is it the is it like the dark hair and the kind of aloofness that's uh, probably he's a little bit more down to earth? Probably than teenage character. Whitney was way into people who didn't give a shit about her. So the okay. aloofness is probably a key factor. Oh, all right, all right. See, so mm-hmm. we're gonna keep an eye on Billy for the rest. You of know, the, movie. the dangerous guy. <laughs> the right. Well, he certainly yeah he ups the ante quite a bit. Yes, as we he does. Go. All right. <laughs> so. <laughs> Next, our protagonist jumped the fence at a beachside uh, amusement park. I'm not really sure. I guess these are, you know, I know of a few in the California area. Yep. Well, they, they play kind of fast and loose with California in this movie. And yeah. where they where they say they are versus where they show they are versus. Yeah. Like, they're, they're solidly in like the Santa Barbara area for most of their establishing shots. But there's no sandy beaches in the kind of area where they're talking about. Like once you get north of Malibu. There's not really much Sandy Beach at all, but they show Sandy Beach and amusement area and that kind of stuff, which is much more like Santa Monica has like a Hmm. boardwalk with a amusement area, like a carousel and stuff like that. Anyway, yeah, they're, they're, none of it is, it's. It's the ideal California Exactly. It's It's got everything. Just an amalgamation of a bunch (laughs) of places. Yeah. They. They talk strategy here. It's uh, it's it's Derek Mule and I. I'm blanking on the third person's name, but essentially they talk about this party that's going to happen on a Saturday, and this guy Jerry he deals dust to kids. Oh, that's what they say. The worst. So they're gonna they're gonna hit Jerry's place. Then Saturday arrives. Yeah. And then we go through a couple quick things here. So I'm just gonna run through this, and mm-hmm. if you have anything you want to add, please do. We see Christy and Victor in the pizza shop. She's a little bit nervous about her first day. He reassures her. A little flirtiness happens there. Great. Yeah. We see the drug dealer's party. Jerry's party. People are smoking dope. They're dancing. They're drinking. In my opinion, everyone looks like they're about 40 years old. Uh-huh. Just by the way they're this dressed. This definitely looks like a cocktail party that someone's like 
boss through <laughs> at his home with a pool. Yeah, there's like balloons and tablecloths. and This does not look like teenagers having a kegger. Yeah. The balloons and the ta- I was like, this can't be the party. I'm no. wondering if this is just an ancillary thing that we're going to find out works. It- no. Looked like a great party. Right. It was, there was hors d'oeuvres. There was like yeah, a table no. of crackers. It was like catered uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone there had like it's delightful shoulder pads and fancy shoes on. I don't know. It was, it was a whole so thing. Good. Right. So I found this very interesting because these guys come in, the Brotherhood. Well, we don't know there's the Brotherhood yet, but not yet. The all the teenagers come in to vigilante destroy this party. <laughs> and I really thought that the first act of them doing some kind of vigilante justice was going to actually feel like justice. Yeah. And that was going to get them all riled up. Right. There is no justice in this. This is exactly exactly comparable, in my opinion, to the vandalism of the school as far as not making any sense and just being destruction for the sake of destruction, which doesn't teach anybody a lesson or give you a sense of justice. So I don't understand why this is the inciting like event of we're going to be vigilantes. Yes, let's do it. Because they come in with firecrackers <laughs> right, and fire extinguishers and yes. shaving cream. Yep. And they push everybody into the pool and spray shaving cream around willy-nilly. Yep. Knock over and the hors d'oeuvres. There was one woman thrown into a table. She might have gotten the worst punishment just for trying to stop this. Well, yeah, she attacked. Yeah, so she throws, she jumps up and throws her arms around her neck, and then they just, like, bat her off like she's a tiny kitten. Right. Don't do that. Don't no. jump on Mule like that. Yeah, I don't know no. if that was Mule, actually. So. Probably, probably Mule. he was big. He looked like a 30-year-old in a mask. <laughs> so so not a, not a good way to scare this drug dealer. Well, I will say... The, the whole, like, at the end with the PA system, that helped. A little bit. Because then there was at least a message that was like, but hey. But they also didn't explicitly say, this is because you sell drugs to kids, you no. douche nozzle. No. This could have been anybody. We also get weirdly here. I didn't realize what was happening until a little bit later in the movie. But we get the first shot of their symbol, their bat sigil, if you will, mm-hmm. this red hand that they put on everything. Mm-hmm. He goes up to Jerry. He's like, this is for you, Jerry. And just kind of puts a red paint handprint on his sweater. <laughs> and But literally that red handprint. And they don't say what it's for or why they do it. Just that it's for him explicitly. Right. But the PA and everything that they do, nothing says anything other than we are the kids who vandalize the school. Like, they're not. But that I would assume immediately... That whatever rowdy teenagers decided to bust up everything in the school were the ones that just decided to destroy my party for no reason. God damn it. Those kids. Yeah. Unbelievable. Weird symbol. But I was trying to think of like where else I've seen this. And the first thing that came to mind was Lion King because I feel like there was a. For some reason, I was thought there, there was a handprint. Was there a handprint in the Lion King? Rafiki. I think the, the monkey's handprint right on the wall. That's got to uh, be it. Like the, the baboon. Ca- the I'm cave, sorry, not a monkey. The cave Have drawing. Have respect. Right? Yeah, <laughs> he does like the cave drawing. But then isn't there also like a bloody handprint in The Shining? That's pretty prominent. Almost certainly. Yeah, it feels yeah, about right. I mean, right. I feel like there's been a lot of notable bloody handprints in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Psycho was probably in that. But it, it was just, it was strange. I, I, when I first saw the handprint, I was like, what? what is that? Are they just trying to ruin his jacket and just yeah. be like, hey, stop it? Or, they focused a lot on it. Yeah. Like, there was a clear 
the like a red hand coming at the camera. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting, interesting. Right. But then it's not everywhere. Like later in the movie, they're just writing on a mirror. Like you're not doing your symbol anymore. I right, guess. It's, have some consistency. <laughs> right. well, that's, that's my biggest problem. And I don't know how much of this is poor storytelling and how much of this is like based on real life events. But right now, no one is worried about vigilante justice coming after them because they haven't made it clear that that's what they're doing. Right. Correct. The police are not involved yet. And they're not consistent using the, the symbol. So maybe it's like five gangs of vigilante teenagers. You don't know. It could um, be. But yeah, anyway, this gets them super hype on vigilanteism and they're like, we got to do this to everybody ever. This was this was such sweet, sweet retribution. <laughs> yeah. And then we learn that they are yeah. the brotherhood, right? They have this like, right. they, they, they yeah, sign up. They decide they are the brotherhood of justice. It was divine inspiration. Remember, Les mm-hmm. says it. They put all their fists in, in, in you know, this group pat, like group fist bump and. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and all I could imagine was. You know, like a when you're drunk with your buddies and you come up with these ideas and you're just like, yes, this is going to be so awesome. And, and narrator, you, you it do, wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> you do something like that is what happens in that scene. Yeah. And that's all I could think of because it was kind of weird. So in all of this fun shenanigans that these guys are doing, he forgets to go pick up Christy up for their date. Oh, yeah. First and, day of work. And she's she, standing and he's not outside cold. And waiting, and then Victor is a dreaming guy with a nice car, and he's like, "Let me take you home." I didn't, I didn't like this because Derek knew ahead of time that he wasn't going to be able to get her because they discussed it, right? Because he was like, "Oh, I'm supposed to go out with her tonight," and they're like, "You go out with her every night," and he's like, "Okay, I'll come do this party crashing thing." Yeah, but he could have told her. He could have. He could have, and maybe, he did not. Maybe he thought he'd make it. I don't know, but I didn't. I didn't like that. That happens. She gets taken home by Victor. Next morning, we see Derek's younger brother, Willie, I think his name mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. laying in bed, shirtless, looking at the ceiling, very clearly, I guess, high on angel dust. I mean, it was obvious. I thought he was withdrawing, but it was like something related to angel dust. Yeah, I mean, I did not look at that kid and think, oh, yeah, that's PCP for sure. That did not seem to be any of the symptoms I'm familiar with with <laughs> taking love PCP. But- <laughs> sure. It was it was bizarre, to say the least. It like, was okay. much more like clinical depression than it was like high on PCP. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not hungry. He doesn't want to go to school. He's staring at the ceiling aimlessly. So something's clearly up. Right. He's like, be ready in five. We're going to school. Something. Let's yeah. Go. We get to school and we're at the gym. Yes. The, these guys are working out very close. Too too close, really. Another me, workout scene. Another <laughs> 80s workout scene. I was so excited. I mean, it's not a movie from the 80s if there's not homoeroticism. Oh, God. Sweaty and working out in awesome outfits. Yeah, glutes, delts, the whole thing. Everything's being worked out. <laughs> Less sweat, though. We are seeing a, more yes. of a decline in sweat. Yes. <laughs> As we go on. We are past the sweat prime, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We're starting to fall back to reality here. For better or for worse, the sweat is in line with what it should be. Right. They're compiling the list, and I found this to be super interesting. They said everybody should pick two people to go after. The types of people that they should pick. Let's, let's give this a listen. It's a, it's a heck of a thing. Oh. So who's next on the list? <laughs> what list? Gotta have one. Barnwell. Yeah. We're hot here. Do you need a list? Whose name are we gonna put on this list? 
How about everybody picks two, so that makes 12 in all. For starters. Whoever's stealing, whoever's dealing. Check. Perverts and deviants. Check. Short people, big guy. <laughs> Double check. Guys with earrings. Oh no, every previous Keanu character is on the <laughs> list. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that it's um, insane to go from people who deal drugs and steal things and are deviants and perverts to short people. Yeah. That's, that's such, there's so many people in between there on the scale of like people to attack. Yeah, it was weird. And, and I, I was all in on the first two categories. I was like, yes. This yeah, is like, great. clean this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Uh, yeah, and then short people and people's earrings. And I mean, dudes with earrings, fine. That could be like the man buns of 86. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> but like, even if you're being sarcastic, dudes with earrings, that's fine. Short people did not need to be in there. That's genetic. Come on, man. They're, they're clearly making them out yeah. to be bad guys already and i just think that they this is part of why the it didn't pan out because we started so strong we started with like people putting people in their places to be like back off your view of the world is incorrect etc etc for the first like 15 minutes of the movie and then the saturday like vigilante at the drug dealer's party is means nothing and does nothing Mm -hmm. and then they're making this list and they're very cavalier about it and they very clearly they don't it's hard to follow a movie of five guys even though you know they're gonna do something like they're gonna put together a vigilante justice team right for better or for worse they they make it clear very early on that these people have their heads up their asses, which makes it hard to keep following because you're like, these guys are just idiots. Yeah, when you just go within just five minutes, it's like, oh, we're going to just go after people who are essentially hurting kids, right? You're giving kids angel dust. Probably not a great idea. I'm behind you guys. Yeah, and that's then, fine. And, then and that's this... a way that I understand slipping into vet- vigilante justice and going too far and doing whatever because you start out being good guys who are trying to go after people selling drugs to kids. In this, they're just a bunch of high school dicks who are fucking <laughs> right. around. They yeah. are the football you, team. <laughs> yeah, they are the football team. And you can't get behind that. <laughs> so they make this list. They decide on their meeting spot. It's the carousel, right? Carousel, yeah. great classic, spot. Classic, classic it's location. it's for the winter. Right. And then they all agree that they're not going to brag about their exploits. Yes. So brotherhood and silence is yes. where Brotherhood and silence. Fists go into the circle again. Oh, so Great. good. We cut to a football scene. You see all these guys are on the same team. It's just they're running drills, I guess. Mm-hmm. This is the first instance of Keanu as a quarterback. Please note it down <laughs> because this is a recurring theme in his career. That's all I'm going to say about that. Which is so interesting to me because he's so, like, I would never look at Keanu Reeves and say, that guy's a quarterback. Never, but... He, I'm never like, we need to cast a quarterback. Let's get Keanu Reeves in here. Mm. <laughs> get me Keanu. Yeah. Yeah, he could have gotten... I always think of, like, Sunshine from Remember the Titans. Platonic <laughs> ideal of quarterback. Right. He's the everyman, so that's... Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't get it, but okay. So then they decide to flirt with the cheerleaders by crashing into them. Classic. Is that the dog pile? Is that yeah. why that happened? Yeah, okay. they're like, hey, what if we go really long, which is where the cheerleaders are practicing, and then they okay. like don't listen to whatever the coach is telling them to do, and they go do a dog pile right into like, <laughs> they don't hurt any of the cheerleaders, but they like 
definitely can't keep doing their routine. <laughs> Got it. Okay. And then they I kind of fall confused. into the football players and like very like, oh, you guys are so silly kind of way. <laughs> and then there's a whole like cuddle puddle of football players and cheerleaders. Yeah. That's great. It's classic 80s football movie. Hijinks. Yeah. <laughs> right there. We we cut back. Derek is coming home from school. It's apparently three in the afternoon. It is noted. We hear the shower. Mm-hmm. It is Derek's brother mm-hmm. showering. Mm-hmm. He inquires why that's happening. His and brother like, says, "Because I feel like it." Because I feel like it. Yeah. He Keanu or Derek is not pleased with this answer. Goes to check his brother's room. Finds his wallet in the wallet. Oh my god! You guessed it. Dust. 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 <laughs> He's a dust head. So much dust. He, which is a term that they use in this movie more than once. Dust head. Oh yeah, right. It's true. It's true. Derek's reaction is to pull his brother out of the shower into his room. Maria is is home. Yes. In in these scenes, there is a moment where you see that his brother is is wearing shorts. In the shower, I don't. I know you're not supposed. To, he's supposed to be naked, but yeah. it's very clear that like he's got cargo khaki shorts on or something like that. He sits him on the bed and gives him a stern talking to. Very. We find out the name of the dealer is a guy named Carlton, not what I would expect a dealer to be named. But <laughs> hey, who am I? Hiding I never in bought dust. <laughs> hiding in plain sight, you know. We find out he's number five on the list. Derek says, "Well, guess what." He just made number one. Oh, yeah. Boom. Then there's a very intense scene of walking through an arcade. <laughs> yeah. Smash cut to the arcade where drugs are dealt. There is very intense choreography going on with this single continuous shot where they yeah. had extras crossing back and forth in front of the main action and also the camera. That it was, was good. very clearly heavily choreographed that, that someone wanted to get real artistic with the arcade scene. Yeah, and and we learned that when these guys have long jackets on, they mean business. <laughs> right. Is this the first appearance of Billy Zane wearing the trench coat? I think the the long coat is he here in this one? At some point he gets a trench coat and then all bets are off yeah. for what he's going to do. Well, I think this this is a scene cuz they all wore coats with their masks at the drug dealer party. Got. Yes, that's And true. I think that okay. they the the coats start making more and more of an appearance after that party. So no masks in this scene though. No masks in this scene. Right. Again, no consistent MO yeah. for vigilantism. Yeah. And it's not all of them. It's three of them. It is the it is the smaller group. They just follow this guy into the bathroom, which is where he deals the drugs, and they just beat the shit out of him. That's yep. really we find out that he's got some broken ribs. Can he's... we talk about the fact that the only black person in this movie is in a wheelchair, has one limb, yeah, a dyed rat tail, like sort of punk. But why is it in a wheelchair? I just, I'm so, why is that person cast to be one of the people buying PCP? I have no idea. It was so it... noticeable. Yeah. Because A, they were the only black person in the whole movie, but B, they were in a wheelchair. Also, they only had one arm. So like them moving the wheelchair was a significant like production of like getting in and out of the bathroom and stuff and like 
That's not to say people in wheelchairs don't do drugs. That's not to say black people don't do drugs. That's not to say like punk kids don't do drugs. But why is a punk black kid in a wheelchair <laughs> in this scene? Because that's all I could see. <laughs> yeah. It, when they said that's Carlton, I thought that that was Carlton. Yeah, the for way a they moment. shot it made mm-hmm. it seem like he it was, was him. right up front. Like yep. he was very prominently placed. And yep. I was just like, this is, it, it, yeah, you're right, Whitney. It was so. So weird. I don't, it it yeah. made me feel like they promised someone they could be in this movie because yeah. there's no other reason. Like the casting directors did not try to go for inclusivity. No, at all, all. Anywhere. It's not like I just don't. I don't get it. I. Right. It was so weird to me. But anyway, right. regardless, they beat the shit out of the drug dealer in the bathroom. They're right on the mirror. Yeah, the Brotherhood is watching or whatever. They right. happen to no dealer, no bloody dealers. handprint. No bloody handprint. They say, like, dealers get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> Signed yes. the Brotherhood. All right. Love. Love, love the Brotherhood. <laughs> Smooches, XOXO. Brotherhood. <laughs> right. So at this point, because this was in a public place, this guy was clearly beaten down severely enough to go to the hospital. Now the cops catch wind of this. Mm-hmm. And the deputy seems to think they're doing a great job. He says we shouldn't look too much into this. Yeah. And the chief disagrees. Which right. is a classic vigilante movie scene sure. of like, hey, these guys are doing our job for us. How hard should we fight it? <laughs> right. This cop doesn't want to do anything. The reference point for vigilantism in this time period before I would assume 1989 was Zorro. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I did too. I noted that. I was like, Zorro, huh? But <laughs> right. that's because... Superhero comics existed, vigilantes existed, but like not in cinema. Yes. You had, I'm thinking maybe Clint Eastwood to a degree, but not, you know, Dirty Harry, something like that. But Zorro felt like, I think that was on television at the time, super popular Mm -hmm. all around. So yeah, I just thought that was a kind of interesting cultural touchstone there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to worry about Zorros. So the next scene is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. We, we're back at school, and someone has hijacked the PA system to make announcements. Do Should I just play this, and then we'll discuss it, yeah. or do we want to Just play this? it. Just play okay. the PA announcement. Attention all students. You are being watched. Every day you wake, every purse you take, every test you fake, every wrong you make, every rule you break, Put your lives at stake from the Brotherhood of Justice. I mean, did anyone else start singing Sting as soon as they heard mm-hmm. that announcement? Pause the movie, and I was like, when? And Synchronicity was out in 1983, so it's right on point for this yeah. movie. <laughs> so the, the thing that's interesting to me about it is I started off being like, oh, they're rewriting the lines to the song. And then right. they, it went on so long, I was like, wait, are they not rewriting the lines to the song? Are they just making a rhyming announcement? Yep. That's what they're doing. I and mean, it, it went on so long that I got very confused again. I was like, oh, I know exactly where we're at. And then I was like, nope, maybe I don't. <laughs> we, we learned that this isn't somebody that stole the mic. This is hacking. Yes. This is a tech genius. Yeah. Who has gotten into the PA system and is now wanting to bug everybody and surveil everybody. And they're like, wait, I can use tech for justice. 
I'm going to do everything I can. Why did the school PA system have 200 sliders that that (laughs) woman was was trying to adjust? Literally, I've seen radio stations with less controls than this PA system has. You could just bring like an iPad and a speaker and you're good. But this thing was just like, it was a ham radio or like 14 ham radios, essentially. That's the thing is like, if it were a ham radio, I would get it even. But like, this was multiple radios stacked on top of each other. Where she's got like a mixing board. Uh, yeah. There's no no need for it. It's, it was crazy. Especially clearly. since it clearly made it easily hackable. Yeah, it's a, it's a very affluent neighborhood. Again, we have to reiterate, <laughs> their sound system is top notch. Yep. So we'll go through a couple quick things here. We see Derek comes back out to his car. Christy has canceled plans by just slipping a note into his uh, windshield wiper. With no explanation. She does say, call me. But she just says, can't do it, bye. So then Derek hops in his car and drives to the carousel. They're going to have another meeting. On the way, he sees her and Victor at the gas station talking rather close. They're just in pretty close proximity. He doesn't do anything about it. He just keeps driving. Stays cool. At the carousel, they set up some more rules. Again, this is all Derek setting up these rules. Before Mm -hmm. we hit somebody, we better make sure they deserve it, he says. Yeah. And then someone by the name of Billy Tremaine gets picked. No he's people drug- just because they're short. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's, that, he's that's like, out. he's like, I know we're getting off the rails here, guys. <laughs> we got to course correct a little bit. <laughs> this guy, Billy Tremaine, gets picked. He's another drug dealer who apparently mixes grass with PCP. So this is like an ongoing theme. This part of California was terrible in the mid 80s, I guess. Yeah, we're great, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> it just. It, just the amount of PCP all over the place. Like I said, I, I had to stop and start looking at PCP online. Like I just started Googling it because I was like, is this really so prevalent that everyone would buy that this high school's riddled with PCP? Like one high school has three dealers that are all selling PCP. Did you read so far as like what the side effects of PCP are? Is it? I, I have anger. No... <laughs> just anger. Okay, bloodlust, essentially. <laughs> Got it. Rage. I mean, that's like, like, um, like an inability to control one's emotions. It's mm. uh, also okay. a little bit of a hallucinogenic. All right. Okay, but so it's, it's got a... It's yeah. like a stimulant, but like uh, literally the number one side effect is rage. Hmm. Of like flying off the handle. Hmm. Okay. So we get, at this point, back at school... There's a little bit of a passive-aggressive chat with Victor. They make note that their cars are really nice to each other. There's like an acknowledgement there, like, you got a great car. Hey, you got a great car, too. That's just a little thing sprinkled in there. So there's a line in there where he says, I like any girl that can whistle. (laughs) With two fingers. With two fingers. (laughs) And it's funny because that was my first thought when she did that whistle in the beginning of the movie. You thought that? Yeah, I was like, oh, man, that's a girl that can whistle with two fingers. That's pretty rad. (laughs) I've never been able to do that. I I still couldn't without with all the practice in the world. But I, hey, I respect it. Yeah, I've Props. never been able to do it. I don't even think it exists. It yeah, exists. I'm a real uh, shitty whistler. I, I could yeah. do it, but I might hurt everyone's ears. Yeah, on no, this. don't do it. That's not don't. that's not podcast friendly material. <laughs> Come on, Ev. You might as well just eat a bag of chips. While doing this. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh. There's sort of a montage, sort of a thing of them just like. Fucking people shit up. Yep. 
This was not decided on at the end of the last meeting either. No, they These just things jump just into kind of it. Transpire. Yeah, right. I think I think they they just skipped it for the sake of time. But there's yeah. no segue into it for the viewer. It's just all of a sudden they trash a person's car. They just like take it apart. They mention offhand that there's a guy who has stolen parts from everyone else's car, right? So then they take apart his entire car, which is. And then oh, they man. say, we'll take apart you next. <laughs> right. There's a sign. Beautiful yeah. sign. And then they almost <laughs> murder a guy on the football team. <laughs> that was an unbelievable hit. Like, I, I'm like, the neck is broken for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that kid's going into the hospital. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's Some... just like in practice and they do it on purpose. They like team up to, to take that guy down. So then we get to what might be the, I, 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 just for me. It's the coup de grace of this whole film, really. Yeah. There's, this feels like a scene that you might see in a prison, right? Yes. There's a lot of movement. Yeah. There's a lot of movement because it's a busy courtyard and there's people who are purposefully staged in places to, to walk in a certain place at a certain time and jostle a certain person. And yeah. Billy Zane is all trench coated up. Yes. Yeah. He's got his butterfly knife. Yeah. He flips that out in a beautiful way, right? Yep. That's a that's mm-hmm. a true skill right there. It mm-hmm. is. He has a knife. The the intelligence operative, I don't know his name, he breaks the two people that are chatting apart. Someone comes up and puts a hand on the guy's back. And sort of jostles him from behind. And then he's sort of like turning around to look at who that was. Yeah. And then he he gets stabbed. Billy Zane walks past him, very <laughs> casually stabs him and keeps on walking in a in the ass. way. <laughs> Stabbed in a butt cheek. Yeah. Now, that guy who we see get stabbed responds in the way that I believe probably all three of us would respond to that. Uh-huh. Oh! Oh! I've been stabbed! I've been stabbed! Oh, it's the crickets. Oh, my God. Don't That's do that again. We get the crickets, which is terrible. <laughs> Sorry, listening audience. But then we also get a guy exclaiming, I've been stabbed. So, which That's was... definitely what I would do, is be like, <laughs> everybody, I have been stabbed. Just so everyone knows who's listening, this shot didn't take place in a jungle. Right. That, that, those are fake cricket sounds in all of the eerie music in this movie. Yeah, you get that really bizarre electric guitar kind of... <laughs> and the, just the dun dun syncopation and, that and crickets. mentioned. Yeah, and crickets. So this whole operation of stabbing a guy secretly in the middle of a busy courtyard is apparently not something that Keanu Reeves knows is going to happen. <laughs> not allowed. Because he watches it from across the courtyard and then people sort of make pointed eye contact with him and his girlfriend is there and she's like, what is happening? Did you have something to do yeah. with this? And he is very put out. He's he does angry. not like it. He we meet up at the carousel, or I think we're at the carousel again. Another rule comes into play, probably no one weapons. that we should have had. Right? Yeah, we probably no should have established this at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Let's yep. not kill anybody. <laughs> yep, Everyone right? sort of reluctantly agrees to that. No one's like, fully on oh, board man. with Keanu on the no weapons rule. <laughs> right. Billy Zane's real bummed. Real bummed. Yep. And then we get into the part of the story where they have turned from vigilantism, which they clearly did already. They never were at full vigilantism. They were always just sort of going at whoever. But now they're going after the nerd. 
Yeah, the guy who's just like kind of like a narc, like he's like, you're cheating on a test. And it's like, well, this guy yeah, is not a drug dealer. Yeah, he's actually a good guy who is right. all about enforcing the rules. Yeah, they just And caught him. a football player cheating and ratted him out. Pasty. So now they're going to go after Pasty. <laughs> Pasty is his name. He's got a real name, but they refer to him as Pasty. Even nice out. people refer to him as Pasty, which is sad. <laughs> right. You're like, oh. Like when Christy also called him Pasty, I was like, oh, snap. That's, damn it. That's rough. Nicknames yeah. in the 80s really When stuck. hardworking, smart Christy is also calling you Pasty, your, your shit's fucked. Yeah. I mean, he had, he had pretty pale skin, so... I get it. It didn't help the way they lit him, especially at the shot where, like, oh, yeah. no, I mean, he's in the they, pizza they shop and he's like, there he is. And it's they like, They definitely Ooh. found a very pale person to play pasty, which yeah. I appreciated because at least the nickname made sense. Imagine, but, imagine like, powder, but with hair. <laughs> right. oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, now he's out back to, like, take out the trash or something. And the, the crew is wearing ski masks and surround him. And they're threatening him. Closing in like sharks. Yeah. And, and then uh, heroically. Heroically. Hero. Yeah. V- Victor comes. Victor shows up. Kiefer Here's, Sutherland is like, not Kiefer. on my watch. <laughs> Five football players are not going to beat up this one nerd. Yeah. Right. He tells Pasty to stand behind, behind me. him. I'm like, okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I kind of wanted a fight scene right then. Like, oh, is Kiefer like trained? Does he like know how to fight? But then they just walked away. Yeah. But not before he recognized Derek through the mask. Oh, yeah. Because Mm -hmm. they literally just interacted. It's those those dreamy eyes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, very much so. That's what gave it away. Keanu Reeves' impeccably manicured beautiful eyes are, you know, a a notable tell. So immediately he's like, I know who that guy is. Right. And then what he does immediately is tell his girlfriend. Yeah. Christy, they, is like, they, clearly, they work at the same pizza shop. They got off at the same time, apparently. He tells her. She's very conflicted about this whole thing. I, I mean, I like Victor. He's done nothing yeah. to make me. Victor's upset been at great him. this whole movie. He's been he's a like nice guy. He's the voice guy. of reason. Yeah. He's been, yeah. He's wears a lot of denim. <laughs> a, lot, great. a lot it's of fine. denim. Yeah. Sometimes like a full, full Canadian tuxedo amount That's of fine. denim. <laughs> It's so good. It is really good. What happens next is that he tries to pick her up on the way to school, and she shuts it down hard. Yeah. Yeah. Derek sees her walking, and he's like, come on. Why didn't you call me back last night? You and the guys had fun last night? Victor told me all about it. Victor? What'd he say? Derek, don't bother lying. You were there. You're part of it. What did Pasty ever do to anybody? I don't understand. And you do? You and your little commando pals flying around town like Superman? You don't know what you're talking about. Deal, dust, and die? You, you and your red handprints and you're beating people up? Derek, it's a big joke. A lot of people don't see it that way. Well, I do. Mm. Boom. She does, and that's all that matters. She knew every detail mm-hmm. of what their antics were. So mm-hmm. clearly this is all over the place but yeah. at this point. So now Superman's introduced. Superman is not this. <laughs> so No, but it yeah, was no. Zorro before. Yeah. And now we've, I guess she has a she different said, point of reference. She said flying, so I guess that's why. She's a younger person, so her point of reference is Superman. That's great. Which had been out for, I don't know, a few years now. Uh, well, so. I mean, Superman comics started in like the late, 
30s, didn't they? Oh, I'm just assuming that she's not a comic reader. She doesn't have time for that. But maybe she saw the movie. I don't know. Well, I'm just saying, once they are in comic books, they show up in other places or they mm-hmm. are yeah. used as reference in, in I don't know, Action journalism or and, whatever. Yeah. 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 This really... Uh, this really elevates her character again. She's like, I'm not going to put up with this shit. Like, right. she's like, I know what you are. And this essentially, they're they're broken up at this point, I, I believe, right? That's It's safe to assume that. Well, yeah, she, or they're well on their way. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's pretty great. Good on her. Don't yeah. take his shit. Get out of there. So we're back at school. The police chief is here again. He confronts the principal about all of this that's going on, the stabbings, the almost getting murdered on a football field, all this stuff. And again, the principal just kind of seems to brush this off, right? He, yeah, he does not, not seem too concerned. Not interested. We cut to a classroom. We're all sitting down getting ready for class. We hear a motorcycle fire up. This is apparently Mule's motorcycle. Somebody steals it. He immediately blames the Mexicans. Immediately. It's too, immediately. It's too far to know what that person looked like. At oh all. yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to blow through a couple things here. You tell me if there's anything of interest. They decide to go to the Mexicans' turf. Okay. Yeah. Literally on the other side of the tracks, they crossed up real railroad tracks to get there. They get caught immediately. They stand out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. The kind of leader of this gang of Mexicans. Uh, so. The only note that I took for this whole set of events is how accurate the leader of the Mexican gang's outfit is. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That is fully on point. Whoever did the costuming for this movie got that righter than most other things in this movie. I mean, nothing else was wrong in this movie. Like, Keanu Reeves' preppy outfits were all on point, too. But, like, got this guy's on point without being over-the-top, like, cartoony characteristic of, like... What a bunch of Mexican right. Chicano people in California dress like at this time. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it super hard. That's but amazing. also the lowriders yeah. were great. Yeah. Right. They all had beautiful See, the lowriders I found a little bit stereotypical, but the clothes. Yeah. He's actually super reasonable. He is. Right? He asks them why they're here, what they're doing. They answer. He says, were you able to tell? What's he look like? How many tattoos? He goes through a couple kind of stereotypical things that someone might say. Again, super calling out racism, which I found really interesting. He's like, what did this guy look like? Brown Shiny shoes. Skin. Yeah. Chinos. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was super refreshing. I was like, wow, I did not expect this kind of candor kind of from this time period, really. Well, and also for a made-for-TV movie where they're talking shit about Mexicans the whole time. Yeah. I expected them to really stereotype and sort of demonize the Mexicans, even if they weren't the bad guys, just sort of making them over-the-top Mexican stereotypes. And this guy is smart. This guy is attractive. This guy just calls them out in a very low-key way without amping up the confrontation at all. Absolutely. I just, I thought it was very impressive how they handled it. Yeah, it, very eloquent all around. I, I like the comment where he was like, if you're going to come back, come back as a friend or something along those mm-hmm. lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he like recognized Derek immediately. He's like, I went to your school, right? Mm-hmm. You're the quarterback. You're good. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it, <laughs> this is one of the best characters in the movie, really. Yep. And he's only here for what, 60 seconds, maybe mm-hmm. tops? If that. Yeah. 
Throughout the course of this conversation, we find that Les, played by Billy Zane, has brought a gun. He's, he's got a really, piece. He's, he's graduated from knife to gun. Not listening to Derek at all. Can we just talk about, yes, it's a bad idea to bring a gun to this situation. Yeah. Totally on much. board with anyone who's like, Billy Zane, what are you doing? You're an idiot. That's a stupid thing to do. You know what's even stupider than that? Calling it out when you're surrounded by a Mexican gang. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. He does not just say, dude, cover that up and like nudge him with an elbow and whisper. He's yeah. like, what the fuck is that gun? <laughs> so that everybody around, all 30 people in this scene now knows that he has a gun and yeah. immediately everything can escalate into drama. It does not, but. Right. Not a good move. Yeah, they, they basically are, are let go. They give up. Uh, I believe it's uh, a mule. He says, you know, I, I, he's like, I made the wrong call. I don't think it was a Mexican guy. I couldn't see him. So they go back to the uh, carousel. Derek roughs up less for bringing a gun. The group kind of disbands at this point, right? Not, you know, they all kind of go their own way. So we have, we move on to a little back and forth between Derek and mule in a restaurant, just a little scene between the two of them where they had this weird for the only time in the movie, characters kind of looking directly at the camera. That was, I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, I had that note too. Mm-hmm. But Mule says the whole thing is basically Derek's call. If he says it lives, it lives. If it dies, it dies. Just like on the football field. Another so sports analogy. Multiple times from like the midpoint of this movie on, this, everyone says at some point that this is Keanu Reeves's project. Yeah. This yeah. is his group. <laughs> Right. Nowhere in the beginning of this yeah. was it his idea to say, yes, let's do it. Mm-hmm. He was never yes. the leader in that initial meeting. He was always kind of just late. Like, even in that first student council meeting, they were like, do you want to make a motion to do something about it? And he was like, no, man, I just wanted to voice my opinion. He was kind of like that the whole beginning. But somewhere around the middle of this movie, everyone's like, this is your club. This is your thing. You're the leader. If it, you know, it lives and dies with you. And he's like, I can't just stop it because it's my thing or whatever. Yep. I don't know when that turn happened, but it took me by surprise because I was like, hang on, I was there. <laughs> this isn't his group. Right. I, I have this a little bit later, but this is where the movie kind of started to feel a little bit like Fight Club to me. Where yeah, like definitely. He started this thing and then it really gets away from him like mm-hmm. in a big way. And they're like, you're still the leader. And he's like, wait, what is happening? I yep. did not order any of this. In fact, he was left out of most of the major hits that they did. That's the thing. He was never the leader. They don't ever show him being the leader. He never says that he's the leader. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, you're the leader. This has gotten away from you. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, uh, I guess. (laughs) Up is down, whatever. (laughs) So we're back at school. And again, pretty much without letting us know this, the Brotherhood has ruined the lowriders of the Mexican students, right? They have the bloody handprint thing on there, on the car again. And we see the principal very conflicted, and he calls another assembly to kind of condemn this behavior. He's like, I might have enabled this. I might have given the little push. I feel bad about it. Let's Let's pump the brakes here, guys. Then we're back at the gym. So another gym scene here. The group is rather conflicted. And Les, Billy Zane, seemingly just like takes over the group. He's like, I don't care if Derek's out. He's like, I'm going to do this thing. Anybody who's with me, meet at the carousel. A couple of these guys are with him, but Derek doesn't know if he's in yet. Mm-hmm. What are we thinking about this change in leadership? I don't actually, th- I think we've established that this is not a change in leadership. 
it's kind of been less pulling the strings the whole time. Yeah, yeah it's always been. I mean, they like you said with that establishing shot of like looking wistfully off into the distance before any shenanigans even started. This is just an angry kid who wants to perpetrate violence and he's like okay cool an excuse to perpetrate violence and he has consistently been upping the ante on violence so yep right the movie it does not it makes perfect sense that he is like all right this is i'm bringing guys in now and we're gonna keep doing this <laughs> the, the movie really begins to snowball here in a big way derek is in the pizza shop again he gets recognized by a bunch of kids maybe what are we thinking here 12 something like I don't that know. About the same age as the children who bought PCP. <laughs> right. They signal by putting their hands in a, um, in, you know, in a circle. The brotherhood pattern. Right. They're like, we're with you, Derek. You're the man. Yep. Fight club. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. That's it. Right. We, first rule, you do not ask questions. Cut to Les, who is apparently making a bomb <laughs> at this point. Yeah. He's with using... uh, tongue depressors. <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah. I was like, I don't know what those things are called, but they're not for bomb making. So that's good. <laughs> they meet yeah. at the pier, and they're Derekless at this point. The group is out for Pasty again, who they, you know, they couldn't get the first time around because Victor intervened. Derek has a conversation with Christy at her house, I presume. She tells him to stop. Mm -hmm. they, she says she's made plans. They don't, they're not going out anymore. Mm-hmm. Cut back to the Brotherhood. Again, this is all happening. This is all just real-time scene by scene. The Brotherhood <laughs> has crafted a Molotov cocktail. And they throw, <laughs> they throw it, it at Pasty's car. And... Directly in. It was a perfect shot from 30, 40 feet away. It was amazing. <laughs> brand new right. car. Swoosh. Little MG. Great little car. And he, it was brand new. He just got it. Right. I felt very bad for Pasty because he is having an aneurysm. I mean, I felt bad for Pasty anyway because he didn't do shit to deserve any of this. Yeah. Right. He's just kind of... But yeah. now his car's on fire. And so then they decide. They get drunk. Oh, my God. Oh, and my God. And decide, even though Derek hasn't really been part of most of this, they decide that they're going to help Derek out. Yep. Without his input. Yep. And blow up Victor's car. With, like, a tripwire. This is the most ludicrous conclusion. How, like, how they got from point A to point B on this one, I will never know. They like, but they're like, right. no, this is going to be really great for Derek. They mention Christy and that he's hurting, and yeah. then the the end result is just put a bomb in his car. <laughs> put a bomb in his car. That'll solve everyone's problems. In like three uh, scenes, they graduated from like assault to arson to like like. Uh, whatever you would call explode, <laughs> like setting up a, terrorism? a pipe bomb. Yeah, domestic terrorism, essentially. Right. Th so they apparently set this bomb up drunkenly on Victor's car. Derek shows up to the carousel. And the bomb is, is set to go off if, if Victor opens the door. Yeah. Very advanced stuff. I guess the hacker did that. Yeah, the that had to have been the, the hacker. <laughs> right. He knows bombs, clearly. Yeah. I mean, they're basically the same thing. Hacking, bombs. <laughs> School all, PA systems. Yeah, it's all triggers good. attached to door it's all handles. Circuit boards. Yeah, man. Right. But so one Derek's zeros, like, you know. Derek's just like, "What did you do?" And he he rightly punches, punches less. Oh, it's so rewarding. It's a very it's a, very very good moment. Yeah, it feels it's a great. Good hit. Yeah, it's a couple hits. The first one just felt the best. Like, yeah, I yeah. guess he got in there and get, did a couple other, but couple oh kicks man, and... it was so nice because yeah. he was not expecting it. He's like, he's going to be so proud that we helped him out. 
Not the case. Bang. Uh, yeah, so he punches Les, and then he gets in his car and just guns it, even, like, driving in, in uh, through, like, oncoming <laughs> traffic. Really <laughs> bad driving, if I can just put that yeah, out there. Yeah, no, that's not good driving. It's supposed that... to be, like, stunt driving, and it is not. There's a whole scene where he just spins out in the middle of an intersection. Yep. I was going to mention that. I was like, not great, but uh, okay. I've seen better <laughs> the, driving they, in 80s films. After, like... Time moving so weirdly in this movie, like nothing happens and then a bunch of stuff happens and then nothing happens and then a bunch of stuff happens. They decide they're going to take like two minutes on this non-car chase car chase with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) And it's so weird because it's like the tension is like they do such weird things with the tension in the storytelling. And so this this spinning out in the middle of the intersection, whatever, is just to delay how long he's in this car driving before he pulls up. Just in the nick of time, really. Just in the nick of time. Honking the horn. Yeah. Victor, like, gets out of work, and he reaches in the window, and you think, <laughs> oh, and then, but he's just popping the trunk so he can put his, like, work uniform in the yeah. trunk. Yeah, thank God. And Wipe then you're your like, brow. And then he goes to, like, open the door, and Keanu Reeves is like, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't touch it. And Victor's like, is this one of your silly jokes? And I was like, when has he ever... You have never seen any of these people tell a joke. <laughs> right, yeah. You don't have that kind of relationship at all. <laughs> so right. why are you like, is this one of your clever pranks? Ha ha. I don't... You like- clearly know this person is dangerous and has done terrible things, or at least in proximity to it. Why would you not believe this? <laughs> so he almost gets in the car, but then Keanu Reeves is like looking for where the bomb is, and... Um, Kiefer Sutherland sees it in the like wheel well in the front, and he's like... Yeah. You put a damn bomb in my car? <laughs> and you Crazy. saw just a brief flash of Jack Bauer in his eyes. You did. Yeah. And also, we should note, again, so we kept uh, the quarterback count as at one. This is the mm-hmm. first time we yeah. see Keanu Officer under Jack a vehicle. Jack Craven of the LAPD bomb squad <laughs> makes a very brief appearance. Yeah. This is where he started his training. Oh, man. It's flash forward. Where, where this high school kid who did not assemble this bomb Somehow and has never, knows. to our knowledge, made a bomb. Gets under there and cuts the right wire and defuses the bomb. It's always the uh, white wire? It's something like, okay. We're going to find out in speed, right? <laughs> I hope so. Which I one? I hope so. I think Jeff Daniels tells us, right? I think. Yeah. So, so that happens. He tells them to call the police. And there's a pipe bomb. Doesn't know what how it's triggered or whatever. Uh, and then he gets in his car and walks off. And he's driving. And then he pulls over all of a sudden, and you have no idea why he's pulling over. Yeah. And then from a very great distance, for some reason, (laughs) you see him walking into a police station. But it's such a great distance that you have to guess that it's a police station because you don't see the words police station. No. Yes. They gave you enough distance to show that it's the car. The car is correct, and there is a building, uh-huh. and There's that's a building that looks it. like a government building, and you're like, right. oh, he's turning himself in. But yeah. you have to infer that he is turning himself in because they don't explicitly show it to you. <laughs> and then immediately that's it. There's It's such a weird ending, and then there's like black and white photographs that look like newspaper photographs of the other teenagers being arrested and put in the back of a cop car. Yes, the aftermath of what happened is told through still images like behind the three credits. photographs behind the <laughs> credits. The From like two minutes of car chase to credits rolling is about 45 seconds. It is yeah. so fast and it yes. is such a hard turn 
It was super weird. Right. Yep. You could actually see the film running out of money at this point. They're like, we've, <laughs> we're running out of money. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> so yeah. that's it. That is the that is the whole film. Mm-hmm. Ev. Yeah. Would you ultimately recommend this film to someone else? Uh, yeah. Not everyone. But what is the criteria for <laughs> recommending this? What do you, as the viewer, have to be kind of keen on? To, to have this be a recommendation. Um, I think if anybody likes uh, older car, like old classic cars, that, that it's worth seeing for those. <laughs> They're in it um, for like a fine. minute. That's, that's the worst. Okay. And then uh, that's a I, I really, reason. I really think that <laughs> the only other reason would be, literally the only other reason would be like, oh, I watched this like weird Keanu movie this weekend. And right. that would be it. It would just be, and and then it would just be like, yeah, you should. It's kind of kind of hilarious. You should check it out. I mean, I still don't think we're really in the I would recommend this film era of Keanu films. I think I would not actively recommend this to anyone. I do think that the the timeliness about like the conversation around race and politics and white privilege and class privilege is. is surprisingly relevant now and yeah. i think the fact that it was made in 86 and all of these people were calling out people who were being racist or not understanding privilege Absolutely. i think there's some element of that that maybe i would end up in a conversation where i would talk about this movie and say check it out if you want to but i don't think it was a good movie so i don't think like definitely do see it no Def- <laughs> yeah but i could see myself maybe ending up in a place where i recommended this movie yeah, the what you said was the, the conversations about race and privilege were handled surprisingly far well. better than every other movie, either theatrically or television released around this time. I think I think even, it's actually pretty even safe. around most that are released now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't think I would recommend this either. Um, I don't know what this was all. I mean, I, I enjoyed this film. For this exercise that we are partaking in here. So <laughs> yeah. in that regard, I thought it was, you know, this is great. Well, like I, you know. I said, out of all of them that we've watched, like, I, I, there were parts about the gymnastics movie that uh, tickled me in certain <laughs> ways. But I did, did not think it was a good movie and did not think, like, oh, I can't wait to watch this or anything. Um, I still think that this movie is not one that I... But it kept my attention. I was more engaged in it. I think this is the best one we've seen so far. Yep. And it's the only one where Keanu Reeves has been the protagonist. So following up on that, what are we thinking about him, Whitney, as an acting presence now? Are we... Now that he is actually the leading man, how are you feeling about him continuing on to be a leading man? I don't know. I still... I think that... I don't know that I see him as like leading man. I don't feel like he led this movie. I feel like he was pulled along by the events of this movie. Um, I don't think it was bad acting, but I also don't think it was good acting. I'm curious to see when it really like clicks where I'm like, at what, what movie is it going to be? Yes, this is what made his career what it is. Obviously, he worked very hard because like we said, he went from a 28 minute Canadian broadcast television <laughs> PSA about troubled teens. Yep. To this in a very, very short span of time. So obviously he was working very hard to make it happen, whether it was a good role for him or not. But I also think that for me, I haven't seen one thing where I've been like, that guy's really acting his ass off. (laughs) 
Ev, what are you thinking about his his prowess so far? Has we're seeing more time with him talking. So what do you think? It's definitely progressing, which is good. It's going the right way. Um, I think we're we're a while from uh, like actually an impressive leading actor role. All right. Good what do you know. think, Andrew? Yeah, I thought this showed off that he has a certain charisma that you're like, okay, I can, all right, I'm seeing this. But also, I got that from Kiefer Sutherland in far less screen time. Yes, I got so, more of it from Kiefer in being on the screen way, way less. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt I'm about it. Uh, this, this vehicle, I think, it could have been what launched Kiefer Sutherland. I do not yeah. think this is what launched Keanu Reeves. Hmm. Right. That's yeah. But that was every time Kiefer was, you know, on screen, you're like, okay, I'm actually even the times when Keanu was with him, I'm like, I'm focused on Kiefer here. He's clearly got, you know, even if it's only the six films that he had before or five before this, it's like, oh, this guy clearly has something, just a little bit of an edge here. So, yep. Yep. So next week, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. But I think Ev is more excited. Oh, We're yeah. talking about River's Edge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are we looking forward to this one? Oh, yeah. Yes. First of all, this is the first movie to have a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. That we did means, it. That means something. <laughs> yeah. And also, the critic score is 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. So Whoa. it is pretty well reviewed by critics. Audience score is 76%. We'll talk about that again next week. But. It's it's definitely the highest reviewed Keanu Reeves movie to date. Because it's great. <laughs> In our initial episode, I said that I saw this movie, River's Edge, and I did not. I, I was mistaking it for something else because I read the synopsis of this. Uh-oh. And I was like, I did, I've never seen River's Edge. So this will be a brand new experience for me. A so whole new world. I yeah. think that I have seen it, but I don't think that I think that wherever I was, like I didn't. I definitely didn't see it in the theater. And if it was on TV, something else was happening. Like maybe I was over at somebody's house and it was on and I was distracted because there are, like when I Google it, there's stuff that looks familiar. Yeah. But I can't tell you anything that happens in the movie. So I don't Hmm. remember it well enough to know if I've seen it all the way through or if I was distracted or if I just recognize it because, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much I've seen of it if I've seen it at all. But I am looking forward to it a lot. Yeah, so Ev has the the edge on us here. So oh, yeah. it'll be interesting to get your insight, having seen it whenever first, you did. First and, and then, last time. Yeah, <laughs> right. So there you go. I'm interested in early Crispin Glover. Right. That'll be, yeah, that's another actor who's, again, oh my gosh, it'll be, it will almost be unrecognizable, I would mm-hmm. think. I don't know. He is very, dis- he has, he does have a very distinctive look about him, though. So yeah. Interesting. So with that said, you can find our website at coolbreezepod.com and access all of our episodes, the list of films we'll be reviewing, and much more. You can also reach out to us by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please give us a subscription on your preferred platform, and you can even throw a five-star review our way to offset the one-star review we have already received, guys. We did it! Yes! No, no written review, just one star. We are. You're doing something right when you've got (laughs) haters. That's what I say. Unbelievable. I love it. I saw it. I was like, really? This early? Great. We're doing it. (laughs) So we'll be back talking with you all next week. 
But until then, Whitney, where can we keep up with you on the internet? Um, so I have a podcast called Historical Hotties, and we talk about uh, the biggest babes in history. All month in February, we're doing love and romance-themed episodes. Um, and the one that just went up last week, I'm trying to think where we're at uh, when this is coming out. We are looking at... Was it Candy Makers? I'm sorry. Candy Makers was the last one, yeah. Got it, okay. Yeah, yeah Candy Makers. Um, so that's Historically Hot on all the social media. Historical Hotties is the name of the podcast. I'm on a video game review podcast called Almost Better Than Silence, where we just talk about what we've done that week uh, as far as gameplay and any news. And then I am on a real play RPG podcast called Myth Takes. Nice, nice, nice. Evan Wells. <laughs> Where are you on the internet? <clears throat> I'm on Instagram. Um, it's getting at- to the point where it's coming back around. Like it was like, oh, it's. A, but then, all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, yeah, all right. Good. I'm sorry. Sorry to it's, interrupt. It's uh, at Evan Acree, A-C-R-E-E. And I also have a Twitter that's not worth following. You can find me on almost every social platform at Dark Driving over on YouTube and now on iTunes. I teach a video editing podcast called The Primary Storyline. Check that out. Give it a subscribe if you're into filmmaking, kind of behind the scenes type stuff. And that is that. So (laughs) with all of that, thank you all for joining us. And in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Oh my God, 146. Yeah. What are we doing? Oh, Nothing man. like a two hour podcast, is what I always say. <laughs> we're, we gotta... we're running as long as the film. Uh, yes. That was my fault for the notes here. Uh, yeah, hopefully it's more like hanging out with good friends, talking shit on a movie, <laughs> and less like, are these people done yet? <laughs> I'm going to be efficient next week. All right. Well, <laughs> don't, be, don't be too efficient. No, no, no. I mean, no, no. be That's efficient. ridiculous. But... It'll actually be really funny because, like, it's like Ev's episode's like forty-five minutes, and then <laughs> Whitney's are also up here somewhere between, and I'm like, we're at two hours every time, every every time. <laughs>